Welcome to Small Places, the podcast where you can listen to conversations on challenging adultism, understanding children's rights, and fight for children's liberation. I'm your host, Eloise Rickman, and I'll be talking to activists, academics, educators, authors, and those who are on the front lines of this vital work. If you enjoy listening, why not sign up to Small Places on Substack, where you'll find essays, Q&As, and many more resources. You can join for free, or you can subscribe for just £5 a month to support my work and help me bring you more conversations just like this one. Now for this week's episode. Today I'm speaking with Carla Joy Bergman, author of Trust Kids, Stories on Youth Autonomy and Confronting Adult Supremacy, and Joyful Militancy, Building Thriving Resistance in Toxic Times. Our discussion left me feeling so uplifted and encouraged, and I know you're going to be moved and inspired by Carla's reflections from her decades of organising. I cannot recommend her latest book, Trust Kids, enough. It's an incredible collection of essays, interviews and poetry for anyone who's interested in children's rights, social justice, children's liberation, or simply if you want to make better sense of your own childhood experiences. In our conversation, we discuss so many things, collective liberation, youth autonomy, adult supremacy, what it looks like to organise in multi-generational spaces, and resisting systems of domination and control. I think you're going to love it. Carla, thank you so much for speaking with me. I'm really delighted to be having this conversation with you. Well, thank you. It's an honour to be asked. I really admire your work and i um, big fan of your work and I can't wait for your book to come out. Uh, um, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> for anyone who isn't familiar with Trust Kids yet, because I really hope everyone is going to pick it up and read it, and who isn't familiar with your work, can you just give us a sort of brief explanation of what it is that you do in this world? And I know sure. you do many <laughs> different things, so it might not be so brief, but a little... It's true. <laughs> I mean, I think first I'll just uh, situate myself. Um, I am calling in, speaking from um, Squamish, Musqueam, Salafit lands, which is also known as Vancouver, Canada, on the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I am a, a, a Western European descent, mostly Great Britain areas, Ireland. And I'm, um, yeah, I've been living here a long time and doing a bunch of different things. Um, like you said, I, I wear, I don't wear, I th- I feel like I wear the same hat, but it takes different shape. <laughs> um, but you know, at the core, I'm, um, an organizer and, and artist and writer. Um, I do a lot of a community engaged art. I'm very interested in working with multi-generational spaces and people and sort of busting those social borders that are imposed on us. Um, and my work uh, in, the, in regards to the book um, really took took flight with my eldest son when he was uh, young, really young, and we participated in a democratic free school. And then I ended up working, doing various different kind of organizing around sort of multi-generational gatherings and then um, became the co-director of a youth art run space in Vancouver, an alternative to school. Um, called the Purple Thistle Center. And that's where this work really took off. Like, um, and it was an area where, you know, trust just animated everything that we did together. Um, uh, and it was a space that just pushed against 
um, like it was uh, working towards collective liberation and pushed against a lot of the intersecting ways in which people are dominated and with a focus on um, obviously youth liberation at the core of it, but also around de-schooling and unschooling um, was part of the framework. And what was unique about this project was it was on purpose after school hours and weekends so that all kids could come because most kids have to go to school for a variety of reasons. Um, so we wanted it to be a really a social project in the community. Um, so yeah, through through working there with and my son, it was all I was there because of my son, always. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a I didn't have a goal to be a youth worker or anything like that. So it was very much tied to his experience um, and his needs and community. Um, and then um, <clears throat> I, yeah, it was there that I really started thinking more about this idea of solidarity begins at home because that was the original name of the book because so many activists leave kids out of the out of like yeah. that you know in the 2010s especially it was a there was a big influx of um talking about oppression which was really good to see in organizing spaces so a lot of like the charts came out <laughs> the various you know um you know racism ableism white supremacy you know all of colonialism all the different ways in which people are dominated and youth was never talked about mm -hmm. and if it was it was very rare um and uh, or it was really a conversation around school and school resistance so homeschooling or unschooling and i just felt that i wanted to bridge it i wanted mm -hmm. to think about what was actually going on bell hooks is a really big inspiration for me on this um, she always centered children at the root of the uh, problem of domination, but she also, you know, she did the thing of like, okay, so feminism, women's rights is important, but let's actually step back and look at what's actually the problem, which is patriarchy, mm -hmm. um, which everyone gets harmed under patriarchy. And so I was like, oh, adult supremacy, <laughs> I'm going to step back. <laughs> everyone gets harmed under adult supremacy yes with if you have children or don't have children we've all been children we all carry this uh domineering domination relationship into our adult lives and replicate it and it just keeps mm -hmm. feeding itself and then the other piece is i i really moved from a lot of the liberation movements connected to this sort of um you know all the different oppressions was they start getting siloed yes right and so that's why I changed the language to um, autonomy, um, youth autonomy, because it's I'm I'm interested in collective liberation, <laughs> but there's ways that you you got to work on the areas you're working on, whether you're undoing white supremacy or whatever. And I, you know, youth is where I orient myself on this conversation. Um, so I think about youth autonomy because it's something that can happen immediately, maybe yeah. just pockets of it, but it can happen right now before yeah. that collective liberation mm. so that's uh, right but so and then yeah so i invited i did an anthology instead of writing it myself because i wanted to hear from young people people without children because this is a conversation this is an invitation but it's also an intervention like mm -hmm. come on adults like i if i told you how many people said to me oh the book's not for me i'm going to buy it for my friend who's a parent i was like no it's it's so for you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah so yeah, and that's sort of how it came together. And then just that someone I, I think because your audience, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, the title is absolutely a nod to John Holt. 
Um, yeah. uh, very much. He was, he, he was doing alternatives to school way back when he coined the phrase on schooling, um, which is just life learning, learning while doing, learning in life all through life. There's no borders. Um, and I think it's really important to weave in those people into these mm. conversations and also amplify young people today. I tried to do that with the book. And then also as a woman, I'm 57, so my oldest is 29. And so I've been doing this a long time. And what I noticed early on was it was mostly all men who wrote this for this topic. Yes. And a lot of, yes. And a it's lot of them were dads. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of them were dads. Yeah. <laughs> and like, good for them. Thank you for doing the work. And also why wasn't mom's writing? Yes. And so yay to you, yay to me, yay to all the moms and non, non-cis men who are, are also uh, have really fundam- like brilliantly joined this conversation. So, mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that you joined that line because like you say, I think sometimes there is this perception that this shift towards thinking more about youth autonomy, children's liberation, what life without adult supremacy might look like. I think to some people feels like it's a very new conversation and that this is something which is very modern and we've only just started talking about it. And actually, like you say, this has, you know, deep roots in the work of the 70s. And, you know, they were obviously drawing on work which has been going back even longer. And this is a long conversation that we're part of. And I think it doesn't do justice to anyone to assume that this is just something which is springing up now. These are ideas which have been tried and tested and played with and kind of experimented with for decades and decades. And I think even though, you know, maybe when you look at Holt's work from the 70s, some of it might feel potentially quite shocking now. You know, the idea that children should have absolutely the same rights as adults when it comes to having sex or when it comes to what movies they can watch. You know, some of it is very challenging. But I think some of the ideas, you know, when we look at things like the rise of unschooling or the move to give children a vote, there are so many threads which are still being carried on, played with, used to kind of um yeah to collectively organize around and I love that you called it trust kids it's such a beautiful quote um, so yeah I was really excited it jumped out of the shelf at me immediately oh um, thank you so much yeah and it's true I mean that one of the things like that that that's across all my work even um the other kind of collective collective liberation work and um you know multi-generational stuff is is that I is to really show that resistance has always happened mm. and that these systems of dominations and these systems of control and oppression are never totally completed. There's always cracks. There's always, always beautiful blossomings of other ways of being. And right from the very first school that was started, there was a resistance to it. Mm. Um, because people, you know, people who were paying attention saw what was going on. Even you think about Tolstoy, like you go back and you read some of his, yeah. like he was so upset about the rise of modern school. He knew that this was the worst thing that could happen to children, yeah. you know, and it goes on and on and on. And so it's, yeah, and, um, it's just a really important piece. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. We have to um, stand next to all the, our, the histories, but also like some of the, like you said, also with re-nuancing it and one of the things that can really get my goat is that historical amnesia of like 
Mm. You know, youth today are so much more radical. And I, I, I really um, respond negative. People think that I'm gonna really like that. And I'm like, no, um, first of all, I feel like that's some serious, you're showing your privilege in mm. a lot of ways. Um, like, let's look at all the different countries and places in the world where like the youth in the sixties in the States and like a lot of the ghettos and like, I mean, <laughs> there was no more radical than that. That's and, um, and it's always been, you know, children and children have always been like, what the heck? Mm. Like adults don't know are wrong. Most of the time, much of the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it also goes both ways. And, uh, you know, cause people did ask like, oh, did you reach out to, and I, this, I have nothing against Greta. I think she's done a great job, yeah. but people asked if I reached out. And they're like, no, cause that's actually not what I'm talking about. That to me isn't youth liberation at all. And they're like, really? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely. Being, and like you, used actually. <laughs> yeah, and the idea that like resistance is, I think in a lot of, um, you know, I'm I'm really delighted that I think gradually as a society, we are becoming more aware of children's needs and the way that maybe mainstream parenting practices have been harmful. But I think the flip side of that is that so often when people talk about the struggles that children face, there is a real, um, like, uh, I think children's resistance can be completely ignored. Children are kind of painted as passive victims in this who need adults to go and save them. And actually, whenever we see adult supremacy, we see children's resistance, we see youth resistance. And it feels so important to highlight that and to show that actually children don't need us to, to come and swoop in with our ideas. What we need to do is, again, coming back to the title of your brilliant book, is to trust kids, to trust that they know what the problems are and what some of the solutions might be as well. Yeah, beautifully said. And just, you know, they at the very least know their perspective and mm. they know how it's affecting them personally, right? So you d definitely want to start from listening. Yeah, and it's, um, it's just so, it, you can really see where adult supremacy, how powerful it is. Because if you replaced it with any other group because of activism stuff, people would see how wrong, like, you know, the white savior thing is really being thankfully really seen as a problem people finally get it I mean people still do it but it's you know it's it's exposed instantly people see it instantly yeah. no one no women of any gender on the spectrum wants a man to call themselves a feminist and come and fight the fight like in a way that is like doing it for us right <laughs> like and people all get that so why don't we get that for young people like yes. that's why like the term solidarity because it's like I I I don't benefit under adult supremacy. I really don't. I don't get to have as much experimentation. I don't get as much access to young people mm -hmm. as I'd like. I don't get to like live, see the world in the way that I'd want to as much, you know, I'm, all these expectations are placed on me. And so it's, it's not a good place to be. It's a lie. It's a, yeah, so it is. I, I'm in it to undo it with them. And it actually, it's going to take adults to undo it, just like it's going to take men to undo patriarchy right yeah yeah I love that thought and I think there is you know when we have this construction of childhood that means there is by definition also this construction of adulthood which I think can sometimes really be very limiting as you say you know it can box us into having to maybe be more authoritarian than we would want to be or be less playful or less creative or I've spoken to so many adults who say well you know i 
I feel like I've had to almost become who my parents were or I felt like boxed in and but I can't be fun anymore or that I have to be serious or that I have to be seen to you know hold the line with my children and you think like this is something where both both parties are losing out when we're having to reinforce these kind of very tired stereotypes and norms of what it means to be a, a grown-up and I really loved um, I think it was actually from your son's essay which you've included in the book um, and he says that there is he's talking about this idea that there should be equal power within both children and adults but he says something like you know adults within that yes there should be equal power but adults still hold that responsibility within these shared spaces to make sure that you know children are being safe and are being cared for and are being looked after and looked out for and I think that's such a great way of putting it that a lot of the nuance of that seems to get lost but it's either well children fine you want children to have rights okay does that mean that we're then going to be you know they're going to be going out and having to pay rent and having to do all these things or there's a sense of well we need to protect children so we can't give them full autonomy and he puts it so simply that it's like what is so hard to understand in that yes you can have equal power and the adults we still hold a responsibility to have that duty of care over the young people in our lives yeah that's my youngest um son William yeah um yeah it's such a good essay <laughs> uh absolutely like and it's you know responsibility um we I worked on another book with a friend called joyful militancy and we we pulled apart we it was actually from a, uh, somebody we interviewed but pulled apart that word the ability to respond and mm -hmm. we were looking at it in a really deep way around like um ability um mm -hmm. right so um this is thinking through a disability lens but also you know uh, capacity lens yeah. and so when you ask people to be responsible you have to look at the ability what's their ability to respond to each mm -hmm. situation and as young people are developing and dealing with this world and you know the right their responsibility has to be kind of fit there where they're at and I mean this happens with all ages this is one, another way that adult supremacy gets in there right like um you know I don't I have a chronic illness and so I can't always I don't always have the ability to respond and say somebody else my with my age and my skills um in, a, in a, the exact same way it has to be nuanced it has to be open but yes I should have the same power still mm, <laughs> about yeah. decision making and how we do things and um and again this gets this you can unpack this a bit more in terms of children like We've always had the conversation that, you know, yeah, like when it comes to economic stuff at this stage in society where we're at under capitalism and everything, they don't always have a lot of say in where we're going to live. And, you know, they're considered always, but, you know, yes. it's not always, it's like there's a survival piece too, right? Yes, definitely. That's that, that's that bigger ability to respond to the like, um, I don't want to burden my kid, my youngest with all that all the time. No, no. Yeah. And I think like most people can hold that complexity. But mm -hmm. yet when it comes to bigger conversations around, well, then shall we give children more power? Shall we share that with them? Shall we facilitate that autonomy and, you know, hand over some decision making? It's like, oh, so I think yeah. it's really reassuring. And I think what I love about the book is you have so many different types of adults and young people 
who are sharing their experiences from all different walks of life and from all different experience perspectives. And I think sometimes it can feel maybe a bit scary to be jumping in and doing something which feels still so out of the norm, if especially if you're not in a kind of community where this is how children are treated. And that's why I think books like this are so powerful, because they show, look, you're not alone in having these thoughts, in wanting to interrogate these things. Um, I think it was maybe from your introduction or one of your essays, but I didn't note it down. But I think you or someone talks about how, you know, the, this coming back to this idea of the left and how often in left wing spaces and social justice spaces, children are the last ones to be thought about if they're even thought about at all. And I think it says the left loves emancipatory rhetoric, but fails to translate that to young people. And I think even if people listening to this haven't spent hours researching this or thinking about this, I think that is something people are starting to recognise now, that there is this real gap, especially when it comes to the left, with thinking about children and actually bringing children into the room. Yeah, that's that's like kind of the was the impetus for the whole book. That's that that what I said at the beginning, like solidarity begins at home. Like I used it as a I'm not on the social media anymore, but that I it was a hashtag that I did mm. to try to intervene in, in the conversations constantly. Um and I, I think that particular line was from probably Antonio Burrow, um a different essay, but um, yeah, there's definitely a few of us in the book who share that. Yeah. But especially if you do a lot of organizing in community and then also work with kids, you really see it or, or do this work at yeah. home. And uh, he 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 um he does an alter he created an alternative school in, in Athens. So he works with young people. He's not a parent, but then he also is an activist and an organizer, um, with, you know, prison abolition and all kinds of stuff. So you really yeah. see it when you do when you're actually in those spaces, you see the um just that bias and and it's actually it's 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 part of oppression it's part of dominance and you know this conversation has been forever too that like as long as there's any like i think Murray Murray Bookchin had a beautiful quote in the 80s where he says um as long as there's any dominance in any relationship between adult and child like he even said adult and this is like the 80s um yeah. you know and he names a bunch of different groups where there's power over and um and then he he always included nature and animals which is mm. you know we're never going to solve the environmental crises yes. because it's all part of the same ecology and if our social ecology is based on dominance then how are we going to ever fix that relationship yes with the natural world and that is just that's it's just so fundamental to me like i can't separate it and yet and i i started I think it comes from sociology but this idea of bordering that we do and mm -hmm. our that's part of that social makeup and i'm really interested in thinking through it as social borders and um so it's not about like having uh thoughtful uh nuance around uh the right size of respect to the idea of responsibility and and what's an appropriate way to behave in a multi-generational space but there's just no need for dominance. But I think the thing that the left is really scared about or why there's this impulse is like a kid's not gonna sit around for a five hour meeting. Yes. We gotta just completely upend the whole way we're organizing if yeah. we're gonna do this. The left loves <laughs> right? a meeting. 
<laughs> right? And it's yeah. because we care. And, and I get it. It's because we care so much about hashing things out mm-hmm. and showing up for each other and meeting each other with kindness and care and support and, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, just a lot of hospitality, at least the way that I organize and participate with the community. That's what we, we center that. So, um, so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, <laughs> now we're going to, we want kids not in daycare. We want yes. them part of, because, and you're, you're going to love this because I, I was talking to my friend, she actually wrote the book, Tuzo and Maya from Japan, um, who the other day, um, you know, she was telling me and she reminded me how, how important it is to have children in the room because they, mm-hmm. through their kind of like innocence or a real, or just kind of realization about things they just bring it they just bring things to the forefront in the way that we've normalized so she was like you know when she was five she was realized that people are in jail that humans are in cages and it was so upsetting to her and Mm -hmm. like like I like I feel like all abolition movements need that five-year-old in the room going no like we got we don't need another meeting this has to stop like it's inhumane Yeah. absolutely right? like it kind of disrupts our, the you know some people would call it stating the obvious but you know it's deeper than that it's, it's it cuts through the bullshit it cuts through the bullshit exactly so that's the other reason why I like having young people around yeah and I sometimes yeah. tough questions yeah <laughs> absolutely and I think that's why it's useful to have children in these very kind of adult design spaces and then I also wonder on the flip side if maybe the left needs to be better at co-creating different spaces as well. Like not just sticking to kind of the formats of, you know, adult led meetings and discussions and putting forward motions, but actually, you know, going to playgrounds, going to the spaces where children are and where they thrive and where they're relaxed and listening to them and chatting to them and taking on board their opinions. Um, And how we can yeah how we can kind of create and co-create knowledge which doesn't still continue to center adults and our own questions and our own I don't know our own ways of figuring out problems and I think that requires such a big mindset shift it's hard work to be doing that but it feels really valuable yeah well said it's so it's so vital because quite frankly mm-hmm we're not actually getting, we're, we're spinning wheels. Um, we have little wins, little moments of like things get better, but Western thought in and of itself is a colonial construction. And if we're always working in our socialized, social construct mindsets, uh, we're just gonna keep replicating and reproducing and reenacting. Um, the systems that are causing harm and like we might like you said we'll chip we can chip away at it but we yeah whereas kids are gonna yeah just it's just it's just a whole other level of creativity and it's has to be multi-generational for me Mm -hmm. like it's not about um you know inviting in a couple kids to a adult heavy space and so I love the idea of it and I do agree like I I think also, I don't, I think, you know, Fred, Han- I think it's um, Fred Moten that said, like, scale is kind of our enemy. And I, I really, this is, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really vital for this conversation, because there is an impulse on the left that we need unity, and we all need to organize together in the same room. It's like, no, decentralize, decentralize, decentralize. 
have have control like have goals of doing actions and like i you know general strike absolutely has to happen if we're ever going to up, upend capitalism but i'm like the day-to-day -day organizing and, and undoing these systems of destruction and dominance and oppression require us to like get together in a small assembly yeah of multi-generational so we can really like support each other's thriving in, in right now and like yeah. Come, that's where the 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 way out's going to happen yes yeah yeah and yeah. it feels like that's more needed now than ever as we're yeah. seeing the destruction from the climate crisis and all of these you know as we saw with covid how actually yeah. being in community with each other that messy mm -hmm. sometimes you know not very glamorous or exciting work of just figuring out how to sit with your neighbors and the people in your community and that feels like a skill which we are going to increasingly need more and more if we're ever going to move away from these systems of oppression. Yeah, and the thing is, is that we know, like, it's been tracked from Kropotkin onward, and then, of course, Indigenous knowledge is uh, sure this as well, that in a crisis when the state and all the institutions are shut down for a moment, <laughs> that people do just actually show up this way. Like, we, knew, we know this from one disaster to another. This is actually... Mutual aid is actually what happens. It's the largest mm -hmm. thing that happens. People actually show up in mutually beneficial relationships with their neighbors, with the people in their orbit. And it's multi-generational and it's, and it's there, there's no workshop. No one needs a, a <laughs> meeting to know how to do it. We just actually, it's what we do. It's actually who we are. Yeah. Like it's actually who we are, but all these institutions and states and systems limit that because they, they start, um, taking over our forms of life and this, you know, and including one of their biggest ones is school, mm. right? Schooling is one of the ways that really cuts kids off from yeah. life. And I didn't center school in this book because I understand the nuance of providing capitalism and all the stuff that comes with um, not everyone can unschool or homeschool. Not, I don't want a lot of parents to do that. Like yes, <laughs> you break their kids get is going to the school. Yeah, like there's so much here, right? Yeah. And as personally, I'm a school resistor though. Yeah, I think school is fundamentally damaging and not okay. So I hold both those truths, and I try to create ways to be in community that offers an alternative for young people mm. who have to go to school or want to go to school or whatever. Um, but yeah, school is one of the forms of life that really shuts down this ability for us to come together. Absolutely. And then I think you really see the effects of that, whether it's in workplace culture or in our political systems. So there's so much, you know, like here in the UK, we have such an adversarial parliament where everything is about, you know, getting your motion through defeating the opposition. And you just think if we started from a place from day dot where children were in spaces where they were learning to be in community with each other rather than in competition, where they were taught how to seek consensus and consent from one another, like how different life would look for all of us in so many ways. It feels sort of heartbreaking sometimes to think like this could really be our future. And I guess it's heartbreaking, but also there are so many beautiful examples of organizations and schools and self-directed education projects and little tiny living room run co-ops of parents getting together where 
there are all of these beautiful ideas and we conceive them in action but it sometimes feels like there just needs to be it needs to happen on a much wider scale for us to have the change we so badly need absolutely you know like I can like it literally breaks my heart Mm. you know because um yeah like schooling uh we in the book I mentioned earlier we talked we called it paranoid readings like this idea of like like what happens in school and competition through comp- competition and, and there cannot be everyone can't do well there has to be this hierarchy and like this you know as long as there's seeds of hierarchy at all anywhere we're just going to mm-hmm. keep replicating and reinscribing um these problems and it does begin it does begin at home it, and, yeah. it, and it continues to happen at school and even the most reformed schooling spaces still have shreds of mm-hmm. competition and this i um and not nurturing cooperative cooperation but really at the root of it is the lack of trust right yeah. the lack of like tr- like really that foundation of trust because one thing like people used to ask for the purple thistle did you train the youth how to run, you know, how to have these meetings and how to do collective work. I'm like, no, because something happens to us <laughs> when mm. we're in a space where that's what's happening. Everyone's yeah. trusted up front. Like the, the youth had keys to this, like it was a real concrete way of trust. Like they truly ran the place, they made decisions on the budget and they had keys, they all had their own keys and they could use it when they wanted. And the only, only thing, because we felt it was fundamental, is they had to come to a meeting once a week for one hour so that they could talk it out, just yeah. hash it out. It wasn't like weird, you know, anarchist ideas of how to do a meeting or socialist ideas. It was just the people, group of people who are writing a space together, having a meeting. Um, and, but you didn't have to train it, you just had to do it. And so we know, so if you flip that on it's head a bit and you look at what happens in schools and other institutions where people aren't given that trust up front mm-hmm. and aren't uh the, the conditions aren't such so that they are uh feeling cared for and go into cooperative relationships it's the opposite when we see how you, you don't really have to do that much you just have to have a model of competition a model of like not listening a model of not trusting and then it just grows and spreads mm. like poison ivy. I can't imagine how different my school experience would have been if we were trusted to, you know, here are the keys or you can come in whenever, here's the door code. And like how beautiful that is as well, because I think so often as a young person, one of the real problems is you want space to be away from your caregivers but you also often don't financially have the money to be able to just sit in cafes all the time. And then people get cross at you for lurking around in, you know, it it becomes, I think it's like one of the real problems of youth is that you don't have spaces to go. And I love this idea that you can just be like, hey, friends, like let's all go and hang out at the school together. How amazing that you have a space where you actually want to be rather than a place where you can't wait to leave from three o'clock. It's amazing. Right. Yeah, I know. One of the young people there had a lot used to say, you know, teens have they can go to school or they can go to the mall and both places suck. <laughs> you know, because like teens they do, they get kicked out of off of yeah. um playgrounds all the time. I used to, yeah. you know, I remember ha- Halloween just passed and I remember my oldest 
went out at 14 with his friends with, you know, and then my young, they're 10 years apart. And then there's just a bunch of us. And it was amazing how there was like one house after another that yelled at them for being too old. And I like, I went up and said, what do you want? What's your expectation? What do you think teens should be doing tonight? Yeah. Like, look at their costumes. They went all in. Like, yeah. you should be like, <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, it's, it is, it's so limiting. And, um, that's a whole other level of oppression that happens for young for teens because they they start and it's also the the moment where they start living some of the adult benefits and the yes. and the, the um I think Liam or Uliam my son talks about it in his essay that he he noticed that his teen pair peers were they don't like little kids yeah because they they finally get some they wield some power yeah and they start colluding with the adults um and he doesn't but um so he talks but he looks at that as a, as a, a mm -hmm. situation that so it's not and teen, you know yeah it's so interesting it's isn't it how, because and in many ways like here in the UK and I'm sure in many other countries systems too it feels like when children in the early years you know, nursery or in the very early primary years they have quite a lot of they still don't have much freedom in terms of their schooling but they have more freedom there's more play-based stuff there's more inquiry-led and then as teens actually become very competent and able to do so much it's like we crack down on them and it's like we will suddenly now take away any autonomy you have in your education and I think as a society, we're quite afraid of teens in some ways. It's like, yeah, they they look more adult. They have more access to that adult power. And we're like, but you're still children. So stay in your, stay in your box, stay in your lane. I don't know. It feels like a very, a very difficult and unfair time. Um, yeah. And, you know, and alternatives, like over the years, um, you know, different styles of alternative schools like te teens is the hard one like mm -hmm. I, I can't think of really any place that does it super well because yeah. they're really they're ready um, most teens are ready to be um, whether it's apprenticeship or having a job or like just you know as I've seen it over and over and over again doing this for over 20 years I've seen so many teens kind of do what happens to 20 year olds in our this ridiculous mm -hmm. society where they kind of crash a little bit and they like um, don't do much or they do a little a college course here a college course there or they work part-time kind of or they sleep a lot a lot of the unschooling or alternative to schooling kids that i've been raised um that i've i was gonna say be raised by that's hilarious it's true <laughs> in a lot of ways. um but being lucky enough to be in community with and, it, and some of them are in their 40s now um they they kind of work through this stuff in this in the safe orbit of being a young person in their home or in community and it just seems like that's such a better model to kind yeah. of like go deeper into yourself and do some self-healing and participate in community in a real way mm -hmm. um i don't know about you but like I, like i'm doing now what i knew i wanted to do at 16 or 17 but i had to detour mm -hmm. all different ways because i spent my most of my 20s depressed and like sad about my childhood and like mm -hmm. unable to pursue it and so it took me but i knew then like if i had just been given the resources yeah you know i could have saved a lot of um, uh, hard time but yeah so it's just i I think there's a quick solution for teens. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't agree with me. So 
Definitely. And what frustrates me so much as well is that we see in the climate crisis is a lot of adults going, right, ordinarily, we don't trust teenagers. But when it comes to the climate crisis, you guys are going to fix this all for us. And like, congratulations for going on your marches or doing your little activism. (laughs) And it feels so frustrating. It's like, actually, there are some areas where young people are begging adults to sit up, take control, listen to what's going on. And it feels like such a painful disconnect between the areas that we are willing to trust kids and the areas where we say, actually, you know, you can't have any autonomy over your education. No, that would be much too dangerous. But when it comes to saving the planet, you guys go for it. And it feels kind of cruel in a way. Yeah, I have a, yeah, me and Uliam created a whole project based on this. Uh, <laughs> we did a, we did a um, podcast called Grounded Futures. Uh, we just wrapped it up, actually. But we talked to a lot of um organizers mostly in the states but in Canada too um kind of about this issue um because he was uh I guess 16 when those you know marches on Fridays or whatever happened and he was just like you know thanks for the break from school for an hour but like meanwhile like we, there's more to be done like I, I you know and he was like I'm interested in like how we can like really change things right now for our lives right this moment and Mm. and really had a good critique about this idea that youth are going to save the planet I mean that's been a trope forever too I you know I remember you know I'm a Gen Xer I remember adults they they were two-faced they like hated us didn't trust us but then also we were going to we were the future and we were going to save everything Mm. don't like that don't like that at all so we wanted to undo that and we we did a, a show that really tried to get at um how to carve out you know thriving amidst these disasters and create alternatives to living a capitalist consumer life Mm -hmm. to you know and not just doing an hour march once a week Uh, i think awareness is building is really important i'm not not against that but i I think that there's there's a lot of young people that want to do way more and Mm -hmm. have the capacity to do more and actually have way better creative ideas than a lot of the adults organizing at the forefront Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yes, I agree. It's just ridiculous. And um, also it's just all part of adult supremacy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It really feels like that. And another question I wanted to ask you as well is throughout the book, whether people explicitly identify this way or not, there is a strong sense of sort of anti-authority or anarchism, which runs through so many of the essays and pieces and obviously AK Press who published the book are an anarchist press as well. And I wondered for you, did the feeling of sort of being against authority and oppression in a more generalized way, like what did they come alongside youth autonomy or did the youth autonomy spark a wider questioning and reassessing of what was happening in society or did they kind of these two strands develop alongside each other yeah it's a great question are you talking about like my um my my interest in this all or my like yeah I guess you, your interest is someone who has created this book together like right like we did yeah. came to the book with a youth right kind of right. an adult supremacy lens but when you were thinking about this work whether it was more recently or in the past 
they kind of what come do they right. come together? Do those develop together the idea yes. of anarchism and youth autonomy? Yeah. So like for me, um yeah, what I was you know, it's so hard to have a pinpoint because like all my life I was I was really upset about adult supremacy. I didn't have that language. Yes. But I was very much the kid who like you know, I was either the teacher's pet or I was always kicked out of their class because I questioned everything and pushed, pushed, pushed and called and said, no, that's wrong. Actually, I was, you know, probably very neurodifferent, just undiagnosed, but no, actually, it's <laughs> not yes. what happened. Um, so there's like this thread that runs through my whole life. But um, and then, I, you know, I often talk about how becoming a parent is when I truly became radicalized, but I was already um, definitely... Uh, from like the early 80s like I was the punk kid I was in the punk scene I was always you know the anti-nuclear marches uh, and you know very much upset at what was happening around the world and the Santanistas and whatnot um, and then, uh, indigenous resurgence stuff all over like the Zapatistas but also here like so like that kind of anarchism not as an ideology but as an ethos of like no domination like that yeah. social ecology lens was really all wrapped up in um, like, cause it all connects to me and like, whether it's feminisms or um, anti-racism or fighting against colonialism or, mm -hmm. or whatever, all the different, which I, I, I'm not, I'm not the only one, many people, I call it empire. So the, all the systems underneath this larger system, which is empire. And this is why, um, I think it's important to weave it together because as long as there's hierarchies, like I said earlier, or authority or dominance, whatever those out of those three words, they're all very similar, are happening in any of our relationships, we're gonna we're just gonna keep reproducing at, at the next generation. Um, so yeah, they are fundamentally go together um, for me, um, but I have a very different framework about anarchism it's not an ideology it's a it's a bunch of tenants around cooperation and mutual aid and no dominance over anything including more than humans plants fungi waterways um so yeah thanks for asking you don't usually get asked that question but it's very connected yeah. no I'm really interested in it like I've been thinking a lot recently about the kind of how adultism and adult supremacy and kind of speciesism and human supremacy go hand in hand and sometimes kind of um like kind of consolidate one another and thinking a lot about um yeah like how we think about children's rights and how we think about animal rights and whether we can think about them in the same spaces and in different ways so it's really I love hearing that you know that this is about all systems of oppression, all systems of domination, like here in the UK, we have constant battles with our government allowing sewage to be pumped into the rivers and pollution and ancient trees cut down and it feels really connected. And I think children, in my young daughter, she's eight now, but you know, throughout her life, she has, I think so many children do, you know, have this real natural affinity with the natural world, whether it's animals whether it's plants whether it's other living creatures and they don't see themselves as apart from this they see themselves as you know we have a cat who we got when our daughter was a toddler and she will often refer to him as like my brother and I think people probably like well, I thought you were only child no no my small orange brother um but yeah and I think this is something again that 
adult supremacy teaches children out of it teaches them no no you are separate you are better than you are over the top and thinking about how we can disturb these kind of these systems which interlock together and how especially at the time we are in now globally it feels like these are really pressing urgent questions to be asking ourselves yeah it's so true and it's you know it's it does get it gets seeded and um kids just uh, instantly unless they're there's specific traumas or whatever but they instantly have a a sense of belonging um to their whole environment to their whole ecosystem and then it gets chipped away because part of empire's goal like for these systems to for the ruling class to really rule is to make us feel like individualistic uh siloed and itemized um, individuals who don't belong and this is back to what i was saying about western thought being a problem because this idea of humans and nature being separate you yes. know and it, thank goodness for some really awesome philosophers who pushed against that over time but really i give credit to indigenous resurgence around the world that is really pushed against west the dominance of western thought around this idea I, like and it was bad like i was in a philosophy class in, in um i guess like 2000 yeah. and i had written that i didn't agree with any of the philosophers because humans ex that we were studying it was very western thought i said because humans exist in nature yes i don't and this isn't about you and i like read mark percross and said this is a philosophically wrong statement and like now it's just considered like a normal statement yeah. but like it just i'm glad i have that histor historical memory of like yeah. what happened in an institution to me about wow. the dominance and you know i'm very much anti-pedagogy across the board because mm. it is at the root of it i mean the word literally means child like you know child patty child um slave boy boy slave like when you break it it doesn't it does not have a good meaning mm. <laughs> the core of it so um but this idea of like top down it's just yeah not to bring it back to school but school is like the site where children really live this out and mm. and then grow into like get it get it chipped away like you were saying like uh, their connection with the whole world yeah it's devastating it is yeah. and and yeah, I still feel, especially reading books like yours, I feel, I still feel hopeful. And maybe it is, you know, I'm a tireless optimist or things like this, but I do feel like there is a shift, hopefully, that is happening with more and more books like yours being published and more and more conversations and more people starting to recognise that there are different ways of being in relationship with children and with the natural world. And I just hope we recognise our desperate needs sooner rather than later um you've been so generous with your time I have one very last quick thing I want to ask you about which is probably very cheeky um and it's fine if you don't have an answer but you know reading through this there are so many wonderful pieces and some naturally will appeal more than others or resonate more than others to me as a reader but I wondered if you had any articles or pieces or items in the book that really resonated with you as an editor as you <laughs> I'm sure they all did yeah is that anything? is a, that's 
<laughs> is it like asking you to choose between one of your children yeah it is it <laughs> is I think that um it's true I think there's something I've really tried to curate it or I call it weaving more than curation um thinking about like because I know how I approach anthologies but there's maybe something in here for everybody and that it's mm -hmm. not every piece is for everyone um and that um I really wanted to show a diversity of voices and I think that I hope that that's what came across Absolutely. um and you know yeah I think it you know I can kind of say if you are doubtful about child uh, adult supremacy or the roots of it to read to Toby Rollo's essay um it will it ground it will ground you in it and I am pur on purpose put the more heavy theoretical stuff at the end of the book yeah. um, and and also Stacey Patton's. So yeah. together, I think they're really, really vital if you're going to if you're, you know, kind of like, hmm, I don't believe this. <laughs> like they yeah. really unpack. They really unpack it in a beautiful, uh, accessible way. Um, if you want more storytelling and think about like particularly around a very big topic right now, LGBT plus stuff um, and, and neural different stuff than like that first section, um, like Nolika's piece, um, Danny and their, and her um, um, trans kids piece, my youngest, who's also trans masks. Like, I think that there, that's, there's a, um, a really beautiful storytelling there mm -hmm. and, a, and the first two that I mentioned, the real like vulnerability from a parenting's perspective. Um, yeah, and then if you if you're interested in like alternatives to schools and school stuff, then like the there's like sort of a the second part gets into like some actual models and different people who've done different things and and then yeah, so it's, you know depending on what you're interested in. and then if you're interested in what we've been talking about that multi generational like mm -hmm. un, like looking at it as a very systemic thing and, a, and through more storytelling, then um, I think, you know, um, what is it? Gabriel, was it Gabriel's essay near the end is really, yeah. really good at showing how, um, yeah, sorry, I'm probably, <laughs> so you've asked a big question, but yeah, he, he like, yeah, he just really like, through a story share, shows how um, kids being otherwise mutually showing up for each other, doing wonderful mm -hmm. things, um, those stories get marginalized. And so I really recommend that. I mean, just so many, there's so, I mean, all of them, and there's really, yeah, there's lovely poetry through it. Mm -hmm. um, there's stuff that, you know, through time show, like there's a essay from um, Chris Time Steele about what happened to him as a kid uh, in high school during 9-11 in the U.S. and just not being like there's so there's stories about kids you know uh, some people wrote about what it was like not to be trusted and how it affected their life so there's some real personal narratives that speak to everything we've just spoken yeah. about that I've talked about and then um and then you know for an affirmative like an imaginative story I, I co-wrote a piece with my son Zach uh, called Make Needles Dream that mm -hmm. looks at a multi uh, as Magneto as a, a site of potential for creating what what youth uh, autonomy really looks like. Um, 
yeah <laughs> and I would definitely say to anyone listening to this this is absolutely not just a book for parents or educators although I absolutely 100% would recommend it to anyone who shares their life with children either personally or professionally but there is so much in there like you say which I think even leaving aside any children in your life right now really so many of the pieces made me rethink my own childhood experiences and help to process some of those feelings and it's just such a beautiful book in terms of just thinking about how we show up in our humanity with other people and um, I love Toby Rollo's piece because he talks about how um, we can child the world through this lens and how that can be applied to sexuality and gender how it can be applied to disability how it can be applied to race and colonialism and it is yeah there's so much in here for everyone and especially people who are interested in social justice issues or how we show up as humans so absolutely if you're listening to this thinking ah I don't have a child this is still a book for you so please read it it's great yes 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 coming up so buy it for people for a Christmas present oh thank you yeah I mean adult supremacy needs all of us all of us every single adult needs to be here to help undo it because it's it's causing so much harm and I just like I don't mean to I don't want to end on a downside but like yes there's been lots of cracks and lots of awareness happening but at the same time there's always a fight back so and you know we just had some legislations in some of our provinces where there's a parents rights group who's who has one that kid, par, uh, kids aren't allowed to self-identify their gender in schools. And if teachers actually let it happen without the parents' consent, that that teacher's reprimanded. Um, mm. That is terrible. That is going backwards, like so yeah. many decades. And we've, this is, um, I just want to end, like why I center collective liberation as the goal. Rights, we need rights because we need to end suffering, but rights cannot be where we stop because they can be reversed. It's engaging with the state, Yes. Um, it also silos movements and sometimes those movements clash. Yes. And so we need to really think about creating spaces and ways to have autonomy and solidarity for young people right now and then work together for collective liberation mm -hmm. if we're going to yeah. save like if this planet is going to last with our, uh, us and other beings being on it in a thriving, beautiful way. Yes. Yeah. It's about trusting kids in all forms of life not just in terms of schooling or in terms of parenting. I think similar here in the UK, there is ongoing, um, an ongoing attack from lots of our government representatives in terms of you know, how teachers and people who work with young people can uh, respond or react if children are you know, non-binary or trans or questioning other aspects of their identity. And it feels like we're very much following the, the footsteps of what's happening across the waves in the US and um, it feels like a really scary time for a lot of young people I think and why I think this idea of trusting kids is you know it, it applies to all aspects of people's lives it's so important you know you can't choose which bits to trust and which bits to reject so, yeah to me it's just foundational for all relationships um, yeah so thank you for that that's beautiful yeah. yeah and it's yeah and yeah I just really want to you know I don't I'm not anti-fighting for rights because like I said there's 19 states 
in the US that still have corporal punishment in schools and all the states, including all of Canada still allow spanking at home. Yeah. So there's lots to fight for. I'm not, yes. I don't mean to belittle that work. I just mean like it can't be the end school because it gets yes. overturned. It can get over taken away as fast as it's given. Um, so Absolutely. we have to move beyond that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as we've seen with each other. rights as well, you know, yes. always yes. these things back that we take for granted. And yeah, it feels like a, a frightening time. And I mean, I'm sure we could also have much, a much longer conversation now about some of the critiques of the children's rights and how Western some of the ideas are and so on. But we'll leave that for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just all beautiful. And I, I just want to say like, yeah, when, 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 the, when the state gets the scared and there's groups of people getting the scared, it means we're doing something. We're doing something to so keep going. Don't take it as a as a lose take it as a like ha ha <laughs> yes we're, we're gonna do more yeah. oh I love that that's a nice message to come back on and yeah thank you so much for sharing your wisdom from all of your years of being in community and yeah being in these circles it's really it's really beautiful to listen to and it makes me feel really excited and like yes we can do this we can come <laughs> together and make change happen well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. For anyone who wants to follow your work and what you're up to, where's the best place for them to connect with what you're doing? Is it your website? Yeah, so my website, joyfulcarla.com, and I have a newsletter, a joy letter. Yes, joy is my thing. Uh, I wrote a book called Joyful Militancy. <laughs> Trust and joy, the two things. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so I do a once a month joy letter in, in lieu of social media. Yeah. fantastic oh I feel yeah. very envious of that I would really like to try it at the moment because so much of a way that I communicate about my work is done through social media it feels like a bit of a trap that I don't think I had quite realized but it's hard really like to shift away I need to find a way I, can, I encourage it it's been incredible it's been a year and a bit for me a year and a half and I was really online like mm. I was very much online I had a big presence so it's it was it was hard um but I really recommend it my life is a hundred times better and you know what I'm just gonna say it trust kids did fine without me online like mm. uh, it's actually my best-selling book so oh, amazing which speaks to which speaks to a lot of how great it is right now like people yeah. are open to this conversation like they I I was part of another youth liberation youth um book called stay solid um and yeah it's out like that came out in 2013 which i recommend it's at ak press too it's um oh, it's a handbook, handbook for you yeah it's really great um we did it through the purple thistle um but like you know it just shows you that was in 2013 it came out so 10 years ago and it was yeah. you know it's it's sold about as many as trust kids sold in the first four months so it just shows right. you how the commerce this has nothing to do with my who i am or anything this is yeah. about the conversation shifting um and that's really really exciting to me and yeah. I wasn't on I wasn't online telling everyone to buy it like it people are ready for the conversation so I'm so glad you're doing your book and I'm really excited well I was going to say this is very reassuring for me because my book is coming out <laughs> next June and it is really hey. nice to know that there is an appetite for these books so you have just absolutely made me yeah. feel a bit less nervous about it so thank yeah. you so much for your time it's been such a joy to chat to you yeah and yeah uh, take care thank you so much and again anyone trust kids is out basically wherever you can buy good books so and if your <laughs> local indie bookshop doesn't have it get them to pre-order it it's wonderful thank you so much thank you.
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed our conversation, why not sign up to Small Places on Substack, where you'll get podcasts, essays, Q&As, and many more resources straight to your inbox. You can join for free or subscribe for just £5 a month to support my work and help me bring you more conversations just like this one. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.